Hello, my fellow story lovers. Welcome. I am so happy that you stopped by Story Molder. I am Vern, your storyteller, with another wonderful story to enlighten your day. Today, I will share a story told in a way that I like to tell it. So what do you do when you find a story that you like? Tell it. A seat at the table. I have international roots. I was born in Brooklyn, New York to immigrant parents. You see, my father is from Guyana and my mother is from Barbados. When I was three years old, I went to live with my grandmother on a big farm in Barbados. I had an exciting childhood. I took care of all of the animals. My British style education provided me with a strong academic background and a slight accent. Barbados is where I got my spirit and spunk. I was never afraid of anybody or anything. My grandmother instilled those qualities in me. She would tell me to stand up straight and let the world see you coming. She said, use your brain. Don't slur your words. Be smart, quick, and stand up straight. When my grandmother checked my homework, she was strict. I had to repeat it back to her. Granny gave me strength, dignity, and love. Early on, I learned that I was somebody. I didn't need the black revolution to tell me that. At age nine, I went back to Brooklyn, New York and entered public school. Because of my high IQ, I enrolled in the prestigious Brooklyn High School. I was accepted into Vassar and Oberlin, but could not attend either one of them because my family could not afford the tuition. So I entered the nearby Brooklyn College on a scholarship. While at Brooklyn, I joined the debate team and won awards. My professor encouraged me to consider politics. Well, I was faced with a double handicap, being both black and female. But I did organize a rival social club when the existing one would not allow black membership. I graduated cum laude with a BA degree in sociology and Spanish. After graduating college, I had a hard time finding a job. Finally, I found a job as a nursery school teacher. I worked during the day and attended evening school at Columbia University, where I received an MA degree in elementary education. I became the director of two daycare centers and later on an educational consultant for New York City's division of daycare. During this time, I got married. My husband and I were both involved in New York City's politics. We spoke out against the minimal role of women, African-Americans and the poor. We established organizations to bring women, blacks, and Hispanics into politics. I joined the local chapter of the League of Women Voters, NAACP, the Urban League, and the Democratic Party Club. I won a seat on the New York State Assembly. This made me the second African-American woman to ever serve. Again, I focused on serving on the Education Committee, assisting low-income students, seeking higher education, unemployment benefits for domestic workers, and maternity leave tenure protection for teachers. Later, a court order redistributing of my neighborhood opened up an opportunity for me to run for Congress. I faced three Democratic challengers. 
My campaign slogan was unbought and unbossed. Canvassing around in my sound truck, sounding much like the ice cream truck coming. I pulled up outside of housing projects and made my announcements and speeches. I had a campaign style and a way of talking to people that was personal. With that style, it made the people feel good. It was with that style I defeated my Democratic competitors. Facing the Republican contender was a harder fight. He was a well-established politician. We had similar views on issues, but I had at an advantage. First, he was an outsider. He lived in Manhattan. I lived in the neighborhood. Second, I spoke Spanish. That was an appeal to the growing number of Hispanics in my neighborhood. At the end, though, the election turned on the issue of gender. The opponent argued that women have been in the driver's seat and black communities for too long and that the district needed a man's voice in Washington and not that of a little school teacher. Using his rhetoric, I pointed out that there are already men in office, but they did not deliver. So the people asked me to do something. I went on to defeat a well-known civil rights activist in the general election with a resounding 67% of the votes. When I got to Washington, immediately I announced that I had no intentions of just sitting there quietly and observing. I intend to focus my attention on the nation's problems. I did just that by jumping right into speaking out against the Vietnam War in my first floor speech, promising that I would keep voting against it until the time comes when our values and priorities have been turned right side up again. Now, you know, the first two to three months in Congress, I was miserable. I was assigned to the Committee of Agriculture Forestry. Really? How am I going to help my constituents? Apparently all they know here in Washington about Brooklyn is that a tree grows there. I appealed directly to the House Speaker. I was told to be a good soldier. Really? I took my complaint to the House floor. Okay. Veterans Affairs Committee was still not my top choice, but there is a lot more veterans in my district than trees. One day, I went to lunch in the cafeteria. I ordered lunch. I was hungry that day. I got dessert, salad, and a little bit of everything and put it on the table. I always had the New York Times with me because I read it while I was eating. Nobody would sit by me. So this day, I felt something hovering over me. I looked up and it looked back. I would have been dead because I was seated at the Georgia delegation table and I didn't even know it. And this man stood up, looked at me and said, you sit at the wrong table. I said, what did you say? He said, I said you sit at the wrong table. I said, what table is this? He said, Georgia delegation. Oh, I said, but the tables do not have any labels. I didn't know. But tomorrow, I will find out where New York sits here. Then I will go to New York. So I continued to eat. And he continued, I said, you are sitting at Georgia delegation table. And then I said, if you don't move from here, I will so and so and so. 
But then I began to feel sorry for him because he was hungry. And I precisely used a different kind of psychology approach. I said, you hungry, aren't you? And that was the first time he gave me a smile because I was nice to him. He said, sure, I'm hungry. I know what your problem is. Your problem is you cannot sit at this table, right? Isn't that right? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to help you out. I said, you see that table over there? He said, yeah. There was a table diagonally across where I was sitting. And there's nobody at it. Look, you go over there, you sit at that table, you order your lunch. And if anybody bother you, you tell them to see me. I thought it would embarrass him, but it did not. It is the funniest thing to me. It did not embarrass him. He went right over there to that table, sat down. <laughs> Goes to show you how ridiculous it is. How ridiculous it is. During my second term, I gained a seat on the Education and Labor Committee. First black woman and second woman ever to have a seat on the Powerful Rules Committee. Served as a founding member of the Congressional Black Caucus and the Congressional Women's Caucus. Unfortunately, being the first woman, an African-American, nobody took me serious when I decided to run for president of the United States. Needless to say, that created hostility from people who vandalized my campaign material with the N-word. They went as far as threatening my life multiple times, including assassination attempts. Consequently, I was granted secret service protection to ensure my safety. What complicated the situation more is that my campaign was under finance and contentiousness came from the predominantly male Congressional Black Caucus. Please, I found that black male politicians are no different from white male politicians. This woman thing is so deep. I found this out in this campaign if I never knew it before. I had an unlikely supporter in George Wallace. Who would have ever thought for a second that he liked me? But he did. I almost lost my seat when I went to visit him in the hospital. I had to explain that to my people. Another thing, I was blocked from participating in the televised primary debate. Obviously, I took legal actions and was allowed to make only one speech. During my speech, I said, I am not the candidate of black America. Although I'm black and proud, I am not the candidate of the women's movement of this country. Although I am a woman and I am equally proud of that, I am the candidate of the people of America and my presence before you now symbolizes a new era in America political history. I earned 12 primaries and 152 delegate votes. I came in fourth place in the party despite hopeless odds. I ran for president to demonstrate the sheer will and refusal to accept the status quo. I continued to serve in Congress in leadership roles and retired in 1983. After retirement, I taught at Mount Holyoke College and was a visiting scholar at Spelman College in Atlanta. I campaigned for presidential candidate Jesse Jackson. 
President Clinton nominated me for ambassador to Jamaica, but I declined due to failing health. I was inducted into the Women's Hall of Fame in 1993. In 2014, the U.S. Postal Service created a forever stamp of me for Black History Month. President Barack Obama posthumously awarded me the Presidential Medal of Freedom Award. Now, Viola Davis will star in a movie about my life. Because I stepped up to claim my seat at the table, it proved that qualified women and persons of color should and could be taken seriously for high office. In the words of Shirley Chisholm, if they don't give you a seat at the table, help me say it, bring a folding chair, a seat at the table. Thanks for dropping by and spending time listening to my story. Come back as often as you like. I'll be happy to have you. Have a wonderful rest of the day. Goodbye for now. <music>